Hello and welcome to the Igniting Change podcast. I'm your host, Celia Hirsch. I'm a volunteer at Igniting Change. In this series, you will hear from individuals and organisations working to bridge the gap and amplify the voices of those doing it tough. Igniting Change is an intentionally tiny, not-for-profit organisation in Balaclava, Melbourne, Australia. We've been lucky enough to work with the most extraordinary people, and it's our great privilege to introduce them to you. Our guest today is Stacey Aslangle. She is the CEO of St Kilda Gatehouse, an organisation established to provide support and safe haven for women involved in street-based sex work. Stacey, welcome, and thank you for joining me on this wintry day. Mm. In weather like this, I often think of how hard it must be to be working on the streets. Can you uh, talk to us about that? Sure. Look, for many of the women that we support through our drop-in centre in particular are experiencing chronic homelessness. So that experience of being out in the weather at all times of the year is something very real to them. And, of course, for those that are involved in, in street sex work as well. The cold and the weather and the dangers of the street is is always present for them. The dangers of the street, I guess, have been highlighted in recent years with with some very well publicised um, murders. What does that do to the morale of the women who who work on the street? Mm. Look, I, th- I think for, for those that we support, we certainly hear their stories of concern. We are often the first point of call when there has been an act of violence towards them. Uh, we will support them in reporting any sort of uh, violence against them, uh, any of those sorts of experiences. We will go to the police with them. We will advocate on their behalf as well for, for safety. In terms of the community, it impacts us all. You know, when one of us is hurting, all of us hurts a little from that. And you're right, there have been some, some awful, awful violence on the street that has ended in, in death and murder. And those women are often remembered. We have an annual memorial each year where we do recognise and remember and honour those in our community who have lost their lives. Is it as dangerous a job as we might think it is? Look, I, I think, Celia, it has changed over the years because of, you know, our mobile phones and the internet. So it's not your quintessential young woman standing on the street corner in the dead of night. It's not that at all. But in terms of the danger, absolutely. Often the women who come to the drop-in seeking our support are extremely vulnerable. Experiences of chronic homelessness, um, mental health challenges, sometimes addiction, coming out of domestic violence, family violence situations, a lot of childhood trauma. One of those experiences is enough to deal with in life, but for many of our women, it's a number of those. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes them extremely vulnerable when they're on the street. It can't be an easy choice to make. Uh, The choice is very diminished. So when you've had ongoing trauma, when you've experienced violence, when you are navigating mental health issues, when you don't have traditional supports like family, education, resources to connect in with the broader community, then you become a lot more vulnerable. And I would say that it's um, not necessarily a choice for a lot of the women we support. And how hard is it to establish relationships with some of these women? Because I imagine their level of trust would be diminished. Hmm. 
Well, I suppose we've, I mean, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. So 30 years of relationship building Mm. and trust, building rapport, being a safe haven, as you mentioned before, but also a sense of belonging and community for those who access our support. And that's been happening for 30 years and our team and our staff are just fantastic in terms of making those connections and building relationships and being very intentional in, in giving women the space that they need and listening and being very aware of a trauma-informed model of care. Mm. How many women would you see on an average year? And is it the same people all the time or do you have Mm. in and out? Yeah, there's a variety. So, I mean, pre-COVID, we would have close to 400 per annum that would come to the drop-in. Uh, obviously, the last two and a half years has shifted things around a little bit, but we're, you know, currently we we have an average of 12 to 16 people per day. We also run some outreach on a Monday and a Friday morning, so that enables the team to offer wellbeing checks and ensure that women are still staying connected to their primary health and housing services, as well as providing them material aid as well. So. Yeah, it's sort of slowly picking up numbers mm. again as we all come out of COVID and, yeah, find a way of, of being community again. I was going to ask you, how difficult was lockdown? Mm. Quite a high proportion of women were able to be housed through the government COVID uh, funding um, around housing. So when lockdowns hit, it felt almost like overnight people who were experiencing homelessness were popped into accommodation. Um, so, you know, that was a little bit of a silver lining during that period. Uh, towards the f- end of the first year, when that funding was running low, we found that women were back on the streets again. But again, we went into another second year of COVID, so housing was provided. Now that we're sort of at this side of COVID, the, the pandemic, um, we are finding that there's more women back on the streets. And what about the level of respect for for street-based sex workers? Has it changed at all? Has it increased? Look, we treat everyone with dignity and respect and we will meet them in their need and we will treat them equally. I sort Um, of mean more... Community, yep. Yep. So I I think certainly stereotypes and stigma, I think the broader community still has a very negative image of street-based sex work. People think, well, why don't you just get another job? Why don't you get a home? Why don't you stop using drugs? Yeah. Oh, why not? <laughs> and, it's, and, you know, yeah. sure, but it's not It's not that simple. Yeah. It's very complex. Have you seen many women who've been able to establish an, another life? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're wonderful stories, you know, yeah. and they're, they're terrific. I think for us, we definitely focus on celebrating success. And success could be that someone's been able to get their birth certificate or someone's been able to get housing or someone is reconnected with family. Uh, It may even be that for that day, that person feels valued and worthy. So that could be the really small things, but we're very conscious of of celebrating those, those events in people's lives. And absolutely, people do find ways of exiting that cycle of poverty and disadvantage. It does happen and, and we see that and we will have phone calls at Christmas time from someone who's, um, you know, perhaps spent five, ten years living and working on the streets down here but has been able to uh, find a different pathway 
for herself, mm. but she'll keep in touch. You know, we become family to a lot of a lot of people that we mm. connect with. Would you say that the drop-in centre has been a lifeline for many of these women? We hear that from them. That's what they tell us. They tell us quite regularly that we might be, we might represent the family to them. We may be the only meal they get for that day. Mm. We might be the only person that just listens to them and has a bit of a laugh. Mm. Uh, we might be the only person that's treated them with some sense of dignity and respect that week. So very strong sense of ownership that the women have with our drop-in centre in particular. It's their home. Mm. And Stacey, how is the centre funded? So we're funded through a few different ways. We have some state and local funding. We have some funding through philanthropics and trusts. And we have funding and support from individual donors and smaller businesses and groups. And Igniting Change was instrumental in the establishment of the shower block and the ablutions block. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that came about? So our drop-in centre is a wonderful building, but it did miss a shower. And we had numerous consultations with you know those who access our centre and wanting to have a safe place for Mm. a shower, a safe place for women to wash and launder their clothes, a safe place where they could get changed and uh, receive fresh clothing, underwear, toiletries, all the personal hygiene products that they need. So we were very fortunate that Ignite, yeah, you're right, Igniting Change was very much pivotal in enabling us to to have our shower. So it's it's a separate unit from our drop in space but it has a shower and a sink and a washing and dryer washing mm. machine and dryer mm. and it's just wonderful absolutely wonderful it's amazing sometimes what we take for granted yeah. um, when we have these things accessible to us but for those living on the streets and working on the streets there's nothing quite like <laughs> a warm shower and some nice shampoo and maybe some body products yeah. um, having the privacy as well to uh, get changed into some fresh clothing and sort of know then that she can come into the drop-in centre and heat up a meal, yeah. grab a locker if she needs to, have a chat, access, you know, send a link through the computer. Yeah. It's about dignity, isn't it? It sure is. Absolutely. Igniting Change has been uh, extremely generous but also really practical <laughs> in that way as well. So I know our we've also recently installed a pergola mm-hmm. and that was also a part of igniting change and we've recently been able to update some of our COVID safe practices again through igniting change so all of that's happened in the last 12 months as well. That's great. Mm. Stacey the gatehouse isn't just about the drop-in centre though is it? There's a number of different arms. Mm. I'd love you to walk me through those if you could. Yeah sure so St Kilda Gatehouse Uh, Our drop-in centre has been functioning for the 30 years. In 2015, we identified that there was a need for supporting young women and girls, particularly around the ages of 12 to 25, who were being sexually exploited. After some research and investigating, Dandenong was identified as a real hotspot back Mm. then. And so the organisation took a big leap of faith and decided to begin a young women's centre down there in Dandenong and the need is still there, the demand is still there. So we support those young women who are impacted by sexual exploitation. It's an early intervention program 
and we often have a, a wait list of three, four, five girls mm. at any one time. Mm. So the demand is there and the need is still great. We also run a social enterprise and an op shop uh, back in St Kilda and that's an opportunity for women who are wanting to rely less on street-based sex work to get involved in some volunteerism, uh, learn new skills. Through the op shop we run craft groups Mm -hmm. and they're fantastic groups where there's social inclusion, women learn some new skills, there's different projects that run throughout the year. Uh, Some women have gone on to sell their products are very beautiful handmade products they sell them through our shop or they have their own online shop now so that's that's a very empowering space we also run arise arise is professional development that seeks to support practitioners understand and respond to child sexual exploitation mm. so we've recently Uh, run a workshop where we had 20 practitioners from child protection, Department of Health, uh, police and other agencies participate in Mm. that and that's an opportunity for us to share our knowledge um, but also resource other organisations and other workers, frontline workers who are working with Mm. at-risk young people. What falls under the umbrella of sexual exploitation? So sexual exploitation is it's a crime Mm. and it's, it's often quite complex. Usually the average age of someone being exploited is at 14 or 15 years old. Mm. Often it's an exchange of something for something. Mm -hmm. And with sexual exploitation, it's the exchange of say an item like an iPhone, maybe housing, uh, food, branded clothing, nice clothing in exchange for sex. So is it often perpetrated on homeless young women or is it not necessarily No, anything? not necessarily, no. A number of our referrals currently are from uh, young women living in residential care mm-hmm. and foster care, but that's, yeah, it's not exclusive. Uh, any sort of crime like this or any sort of exploitation mm. is anyone. Mm. Anyone can be groomed anyone can be targeted I think for a number of the young women that we support or seek out our services have already come from quite traumatic childhoods there may be family breakdown there may already be substance use there's often mental health challenges in that mix Mm. so in young lives that's a lot to deal with and they become extremely extremely vulnerable yeah Mm. and I guess you see it at the other end then with some of the women who who end up working on the street because they've had Mm. these traumatic childhoods yeah exactly and that's that's actually part of the reason why the young women's project was established because we were hearing stories from the women at our drop-in center Mm. say comments like you know what I wish there was someone when I was 11 or 12 who saw something in me or Mm. I wish there was some sort of intervention. I wish that someone believed my story and heard my need at that age and that may well have changed my trajectory. And so that's why the Young Women's Project is very much around early intervention. Mm. Ideally prevention, but... That's, yeah, Mm. definitely early intervention. And Stacey, how did you get involved in in the Gatehouse? Look, I've actually been involved with St Kilda Gatehouse since 1996. Mm -hmm. So I was living around the corner from the drop-in centre at the time and working in hospitality, which meant I was doing a lot of late-night shifts. And I befriended some of the women who were working on the street at the time. 
And I recall one young woman in particular and she was creative and kind and always up for a bit of a chat and we'd often sit and have toast and jam and cups and tea um, together. She very much challenged my stereotypes. By listening to her story, I learnt of her traumatic childhood. I learnt of some of the disadvantages she'd experienced by no fault of her own, you know. Mm. She very much changed my and challenged the stereotypes that I held within myself. So it wasn't long after that that I uh, got in touch with the drop-in because they were looking for volunteers. And so I started with... uh, Thank you to Gatehouse Sand. So I've done some, yeah, different different roles with the organisation in voluntary capacities and then in 2020, yeah, accepted the position as CEO. So as CEO, what's your vision for the future for the Gatehouse? I hope that St Kilda Gatehouse will always be a place of welcome and belonging for those who most need it. In a more practical level, <laughs> I'd love to see our, uh, you know, we have a dream to perhaps purpose build our drop-in centre. We're at a stage now where we're pretty full. It's a small, small space, but we would love to see it uh, purpose built so that we can have some therapeutic spaces, that it can be a bit of a one-stop shop for for women living and working on the streets who face so many barriers and so many stereotypes and stigma that we, we know and we hear from them that if we had a nurse there, you know, they mm. would come to the drop-in centre and they would access that nurse. If we had a podiatrist there one time, they would come and, you know, have those issues addressed. If we had a mental health counsellor, they would come and have access to that. So it's certainly a, a dream around that in terms of our, you know, social enterprise. I believe that that's a... It's very much a community hub and it's being created that way. I'd love to see that expand, you know, expand into perhaps training and further employment, again, for women who may not have had, you know, mainstream education, who may be experiencing an acquired brain injury Mm. because of domestic violence or childhood violence against them. Mm. So women that just need that safe place to kind of find who they are. Mm. I think that that would be wonderful to see that. And Stacey, anyone can contribute to, to that dream, can't they? They sure can. They can jump on our website. Our winter campaign is currently running, but any time of the year, people can jump on our website, read our stories, you know, follow us on Facebook and on our socials, you know, learn a little bit more about what it means to be homeless, what Um, addiction does to someone, um, how stigma and stereotypes really shape us as a community and as a society. So there's lots of ways that people can uh, make themselves more aware of the, the numerous issues that women face. And how would you like people to think about these women? Human beings. We all have the same hopes, the same dreams. We all have the same colour blood run through our veins. It's just that sometimes some of us don't get the, the same start in life. Stacey, it's been terrific talking to you today and um, I look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. Thank you, Thank Celia. You. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Igniting Change podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please rate or review. See you next time.